With you another edition of the Degenerate Hawkeyes podcast. Trenton Biz with you after another victory over a top 10 team. The Hawkeyes take down the Gophers and their best season since 1904, at least in terms of record, goes down the drain as the Hawks win another one. Biz, what's happening? Not much. Excited for uh, a bitter rival, Illinois, to come into town tomorrow, Trent. Yeah, it doesn't have uh, quite the same juice it did for us growing up in the late 80s and into the 90s. And, of course, Deion Thomas on the basketball side of things, some good football teams during that time with, what, Mike White cheating his ass off with the Illini back in the day. But here we are as we get ready for this one, but a resurgent Illinois team. And I, I think you have, don't you have some in-laws that are big Illini backers? I don't know if I'd say big Illini <laughs> backers. They, they live in the state of Illinois, so the, the rare times that Illinois is good, they uh, they jump back on the bandwagon, but uh, haven't heard anything from them at all in the last decade, Trent. Yeah, it's been a, a very difficult one, no doubt about that, Illinois, and especially the football program, though basketball has also taken a big step backward. We'll get into Illinois here in just a little bit, but before we do, let's take a look back. It was almost a week ago. 3 o'clock kickoff in Kinnick Stadium. First of all, the environment. Help me out here. Unfortunately, I was uh, on dad duty over the weekend, so I didn't make my way to Iowa City. Help me out with the environment. It's it's Minnesota. Always fun for us where we grew up in North Iowa. You know, Family, friends that went to Minnesota, myself. So this is a big rivalry game for me. But uh, take us inside the stadium, maybe even beforehand, what the environment was like. Well, the environment was great solely because of Stat Boy. He he did not uh, did not disappoint Trent. A lot of screaming of uh, "Who hates Iowa?" before, uh-huh. during, and after. Uh, he, on the way out, he was uh, sticking his head out the window and screaming at every Gopher fan as, as we uh, as we drove down Melrose. So, uh, you know, he he made the environment, but no, very good stadium environment in general. But, but it was. Uh, there were a lot of Gophers fans there, um, but the, at least the ones in our sections were, were pretty cordial. They didn't. Uh, it helped that they fell behind uh, very quickly, so that kind of quieted them down a little bit. But no, it was a great environment. Uh, you know, night game at Kinnick, or I guess afternoon game that turned into a night game. They're always fun, but it's even more fun when Iowa gives you something to cheer about because you know that Penn State game. You know, it was a great environment, but when your offense doesn't do anything for three, three and a half quarters, you don't give them much to cheer about. So when you score 20 points in the first 20 minutes of the game, uh, it's pretty hard not to have a good environment. No, no doubt. And uh, the offense, as you said, jumped out very quickly, went right down the field, got on the board. 6 nothing after the extra point failed. Uh, the snap or the hold was bad going back there. But Iowa gets it done. They jump out. In fact, a 20-3 to lead. A lot of different wrinkles that you saw out there, but – I think the biggest thing, you, you could talk about different play calls and what they did, but more than anything, it was the play of Tyler Goodson. Yeah, it was fun to watch him uh, do what we all kind of uh, assumed he could do. But the, the other thing I thought was huge, Trent, we just we made some plays on third and fourth down. I mean, you talked about it against Wisconsin the last two years of Wisconsin. At one point, we were, what, 0 for 19 on third downs. It, it's almost impossible <laughs> to win games when you, when you can't execute on third down. And that first drive of the game, I thought was a perfect example. I think we had a couple third and longs and a fourth down conversion all in that first drive. Um, you know, and, and by going down and scoring that first drive, we set the tone 
um, totally different. But I, I was also, on the flip side, absolutely amazed by, by Minnesota's strategy in the first half. I don't think they sent a single blip mm-hmm. at all in the first half. They sat back and, and just let Nate Stanley uh, – get comfortable back there. And, and as we all know, when, when Nate Stanley has a good pocket, he's a heck of a quarterback. So second half, they, they totally changed that and they blitzed and they sent some different uh, looks our way. And as usual, our line struggled a little bit. So I don't really get what Minnesota's defense strategy was coming into that game. Well, that's kind of the dirty little secret about this Minnesota team getting off to that 9-0 and start and, and what they did and all the talk about three really good running backs. Tanner Morgan playing at a level I don't think anybody anticipated and, of course, what they have in that group of wide receivers. But defensively, frankly, not very good. I mean, you look at the numbers going in, and that's what gave me hope going into the game against Minnesota, that this team overall wasn't great defensively, and you were going to be able to move the football against them, and that certainly showed up in a big way. Didn't continue in the second half. Iowa holds on, though, 23-19. Certainly some hairy moments there, but more than anything, I mean, this is a, a standard Ference game. Put it in the lockbox, get the lead early, and then hold on for dear life late. Well, you mentioned Tanner Morgan. I was really, really impressed with that kid. Yeah. I, mean, I loved our defensive strategy. It was very obvious from the get-go. We were not going to let them beat us with their, their slant RPO game. I mean, I think two of the first three passes, we batted down. I mean, we had a lot of defensive linemen that, that were uh, not even rushing on, on early downs because they just were eyeing the quarterback and getting ready to put their hands up. And Minnesota adjusted accordingly, and that kid threw, I mean, let me have eight or nine 15-yard passes or farther. I mean, we were making them beat us by throwing the ball down the field. And and for the most part, he did it once they got going. So, you know, that's the thing about Usually you beat the Gophers by four, you probably come away from it unsatisfied. But I was really impressed with Minnesota. They're they're a good football team. Like you said, they've got – Really good skill position players, and, and Morgan was a lot better than I thought he was going to be. So, um, you know, I'd be surprised, if, again, assuming Morgan is healthy, I'd be surprised if they don't beat the Badgers uh, at home next week. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, and that, that still remains, though, the big question of what he's going to be in concussion protocol as we record here Friday morning. I haven't heard anything definitively, though. I, I still love the Gophers in that spot, uh, going up to Northwestern, followed by the matchup, like you said, against Wisconsin. I think they're a better team. And uh, P.J. Fleck, uh, personally, I hope he gets one of those uh, big jobs out there, USC, Florida State, because I don't like Minnesota being good. I don't like it. Yeah, they're, they're pretty easy to dislike. Uh, we've talked about before, Fleck is uh, it's not a hard person to dislike, and, and he uh, he went out of his way to be unlikable on Saturday. Boy, uh, we, we could have a whole podcast about his, uh, his stupid shenanigans, but uh, – I don't want to waste time talking about uh, about Phil Fleck too much. You know, uh, him running onto the field, okay, fine. I mean, that's he's goofy that way. He got the flag. He, I'm sure he was also going out there and running, and, and that was the reason that he got the uh, running and, and yelling about something. That's the reason that he got the flag, I think, more than anything, not because he came onto the field. But the thing that really bothered me afterwards is he comes up with the excuse, well, Eric LeGrand, he was at Rutgers when he was – uh, paralyzed during a football game, and he brought that up. Come on. Uh, there, there is no way. Who was it? Bateman, I think. Wh- whoever the receiver was that got hit. Maybe it was Johnson, regardless. It was, John- it was Johnson. There is no way you were running onto the field thinking that he is paralyzed. I mean, come on. To, to pull that, own up to it, admit you're a mistake, but to, to pull that out, that just leads down the road again for me. It's just how disingenuous he seems to me. Well, in, in football, as we all know, Trent, is an incredibly violent sport. 
if you're going to do what he claimed you did, which is running out there because he thought his guy was paralyzed, you'd be running out on the field 15 to 20 times a game because that's how many times you have guys that don't get up immediately. I mean, there's a lot of plays where you got guys that are slow to get up, and he was out there instantly. And so, yeah, his story doesn't add up. I mean, good for him, I guess, for wanting to protect his player. But to, like you said, it's just disingenuous. His, his explanation just doesn't add up. So, I don't know. Like I said, easy guy to dislike. And <clears throat> unfortunately, uh, he's also a guy that appears to be uh, creating a winning culture there. For, <clears throat> for whatever reason, they're buying into his shtick, and he uh, – He's got a good football team right now. Yes, he does. Well, Iowa gets the win 23-19. A couple of head-scratching moments, including late as I was trying to run out the clock. Snap of the football with 13 on the play clock. Boy, uh, it, it didn't turn out to matter, but that was a frustrating moment. Did you see that inside the stadium? Oh, yeah. It was, uh, you know, it wouldn't be an Iowa football game without <laughs> some head-scratching moments, Trent. Yes. Just, uh, there are certain things you and I talk about almost every single podcast. There are things that are just indefensible and that's one that i mean there's absolutely no reason for that to happen and you know part of that coaching but that, that's nate stanley i think more than anything nate, nate has to look up and realize mm-hmm. that i mean I, I can't imagine the coaching staff was wanting him to snap the ball at that point so to me that's more on the players than it is the coaches they, they have to look up and realize we got to milk every second off this so uh, again it didn't end up mattering but uh yeah, your weekly uh, head-scratcher for the Iowa football program. One other guy I've got to mention, I think, in this game, well, the return of Christian Welch was big and, and him covering up a lot of things. You mentioned what they were doing against the RPOs and him getting people in the right spots and then making plays on top of it was certainly huge. But your boy Tyrone Tracy, once again, well, they went to, what, four straight times, three passes and a jet sweep in there. He is dynamic. The future of him coupled with Tyler Goodson, a couple of good freshmen going forward. Yeah, but Tracy also had a huge drop in the second half. And, you know, I think it was the first drive in the second half. We were marching down the field again, and, and he dropped a wide-open 15, 20-yarder. So uh, he's, for as dynamic as he is, he certainly uh, needs to clean up some of the uh, mistakes as well. It seems like he uh, has a drop about weekly as well. So not the greatest hands in the world, but once he, once he catches it, uh, watch out. Yes, and makes a big play. Back behind it. All right, so that is Minnesota. Anything else on the Gopher game before we move forward? No, let's 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 get into a deep dive on field goal kicking. Trent, are you ready? <laughs> okay, deep dive into field goal kicking. Now, uh, what was the reason this one came up this week? Any any reason that it popped into your head? The reason it came up is because Stat Boy demanded it. Oh, this, this oh. is a uh, this is a Stat Boy driven uh, area. He just. Out and out announced to me on, on Sunday or Monday, I'm going to look into the kickers because he, he was talking about, and he's right, how fortunate we've been over the last 20 years to have a long string of really good kickers. And so uh, I think it was actually at the tailgate he even started talking about it. So he decided to dig into the numbers, and so I, he sent me the numbers, and I created kind of a quiz for you. So you're, you're ready to be quizzed on, uh, on Iowa kickers because uh, you know, right now I think – We've got, a, if not the best, certainly one of the best kickers in the nation from a, from a statistical standpoint. So uh, good time, I guess, to, to do an ode to the Iowa kickers under Kirk Ferentz. So we're talking about Kirk Ferentz kickers only. You ready to be quizzed? Let's do it. All right, Trent. So 
Prior to Duncan, there have been five Kirk Ferentz kickers who have made 10 field goals or more in multiple seasons. I think that you should be able to get all five of them. So uh, let's hear it. Who are the five kickers that have multiple double-digit uh, field goal seasons? Well, you got to start with Nate Kading. That's the easy one, right? That is the easy one, yes. From 2000 to 2003, he made 14, 12, 21, and 20 uh, so, uh, yeah, he, he's, he's your, your freebie. So the, a couple others I think you should get easily as well. But, yeah, Kading is the first one. Because Schlichter, the kicker. Yep, Schlichter, the kicker, had three seasons. He made 21, 17, and 13. And uh, oddly enough, when you look at his numbers, uh, he got slightly worse every single year. But uh, yeah, his name's Schlichter, the kicker, so we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Miguel Racinos, we go recently? That is correct. Racinos uh, barely sneaked in. He had 11 and 17 um, in the 17, 18 years. So you get two more to go, Trent. Well, and this is where, at least for me, it gets a little bit more hairy. You know, I, a couple of names bounce in, but then you think, when did they get the job? Mike Meyer, is he one of them? Mike Meyer Mike Meyer's a slam dunk, Trent. Okay. Four straight years. Wow. 14, 14, 14 17, and 16. So uh, <laughs> that surprised me as well. I knew he was there for all, but I forgot he kicked four years in a row. So, yeah. yeah. One more to go, Trent. One more to go. Well, of course, one of the most famous kicks in Iowa history. No, we're not talking about Rob Houtland, but we are talking about Danny Murray and then uh, the soccer slide afterwards. But he was, you know, what, Trent Mossbrucker and him were fighting for the job for the while. That would be one of my guesses. And if I had to go another direction, I, I guess I'll go there. Danny Murray. You are incorrect. Ah. Other option. Is it Marshall Kane? It is Marshall Kane. God correct. You were close. Daniel Murray made six or more three years. He went seven for ten, six for nine, and then went 19 for 26. But he never crossed the threshold twice. Marshall Kane is your answer. He went 12 for 16 and 16 for 20. Um, actually, Duncan is not, did not, does not make that category. Two years ago, he went nine for 11. Oh. So, uh, he didn't quite make it. But this year, he's obviously the incredible 23 for 26. But, uh, and those are your five kickers, Trent. Five of them have made ten or more. So, um, Next quiz question. Of those seven that you just talked about, Kading, Schlicker, Meyer, Kane, Racinos, Duncan, and Murray, who has the highest field goal percentage of the group? Well, I think, again, the easiest answer would be Kading, but he struggled so much in his freshman year that that maybe is not the case. You want to have a guy that – was out there and, and wasn't mixing kicks early in his career. Uh, Marshall Kane missed quite a few. Uh, I'm going to go Schlicker. Incorrect, Trent. The answer, and, it, and it's a blowout, is Keith Duncan. Oh. Keith Duncan, 32 for 37 in his career so far. He's kicking, he's made 86% of his kicks. There's a tight race between second and sixth. Uh, all of them, some pretty incredible, incredible numbers here, Trent, just to show you how good our kickers have been. Kading made 81% of his kicks, including an incredible 90% his last two years. Um, Racinos made 80%. Kane made 77%. Schlicker made 76%. And Meyer made 76%. So all six of those guys made at least three-quarters of their kicks. So uh, the only one of the seven that was uh, a little shakier was Daniel Murray. Uh, he made 71% of his kicks over the years. So, uh uh, again, it's been we've been pretty darn fortunate at how good our kickers have been over the years. 
So, you know, that's going to mean uh, we're going to get an 0-for-3 performance out of Duncan on Saturday, and the Hawks are going to lose by a field goal. Oh, yeah, this, this whole this is a kiss of death. is a complete kiss of death to, uh, to uh, Duncan. I assume he's going to go, like, one for six the rest of the year. So, so Stat Boy, I, as he was yelling at Gopher fans, any other field goal topics pop into his head? Well, let's move from field goals to PATs, Trent. Oh. Of those seven, only one of them never missed a PAT. Who was that? Never missed a PAT. I'm going to go to Schlicker again. You are incorrect. Ah, jeez. Racinos. Ah. That's an incredible. Nine, 91 for 91. You go down the line, Kading missed three, Schlicker missed four, <laughs> Meyer missed two, but the last three years of Meyer's career, he was perfect. He made, like, I think, his last 116 in a row. Uh, Duncan has only missed one, and you forget Marshall Kane was a horrible extra point yes, kicker the year we went to the, uh, the Rose Bowl. In 2015, Kane missed Six extra points. Six extra points. Yeah, I, I forgot oh. about it until I looked at the numbers. He actually got benched a little bit as the extra point kicker for a while. It was like a, uh, it was like he had the yips. He uh, late in the year, I think he missed had four games in a row. I think where he missed an extra point. Lucky at that time, I think Iowa was blowing most everybody out in that schedule, so it didn't matter very much. But six missed extra yeah. points. Well, he, he kicked fifty-three extra points that year, Trent. Guess how many Duncan has kicked this year? 23. 21. 21. Yeah. So Kane kicked 53 in the Rose Bowl year. We kicked 21 this year. So not hard to see why we're not going to the Rose Bowl this year. Yeah, yeah, it makes a little bit of sense. Uh, not getting into the end zone, that's going to be a big difference in what I'm pace for. Uh, certainly a lot less than the 53. All right, uh, kicking, anything else on the kicking side of things? One last one, and this one shocked me. The only guy of the group that was a first-team All-Big Ten kicker was Katie. He, he was first-team All-Big Ten in 2002 and 2003. Um, we had three of them that were second team. Slicker made second team, Meyer made second team, and Marshall Kane made second team. I would be shocked if Duncan is not the first-team kicker this this year. So uh, first time since 2003 that we'll have a first-team kicker in the Big Ten. I think the Ohio State kicker maybe has some good numbers himself this year, too. But, yeah, I, I, I think you're exactly right. With what Duncan has done this season, it would be it'd be an upset, but we're talking about an Ohio State player. They some, seemingly always get the benefit of the doubt. In fact, I'm going to bring it up here because now I'm interested to see if I can find it. Blake Howell, 67-67 on uh, PATs. Uh, he's only 8-10, I guess, in field goals. But he is averaging <laughs> more points per game than Duncan. He's made 67 extra points, and we've made 21. That's incredible. A little bit different, huh? Just a little bit. Yeah. Hell, even Michigan State, they've kicked 21 extra points this year. 46 out of Penn State, 38 for Minnesota. Uh, Indiana has 38. Yeah, we're, we're down in the world of the Rutgers of the world. That's, that's not a place you want to be. Well, hopefully next year we'll have Rutgers punter. I'm still counting on him grad transferring over to us next year. We'll get him. We'll, we'll get him. All right, Biz, what else you got? That's it. That, that's the end of, of kicker history, Trent. Uh, you know, you, you don't want to talk about kickers too long or everyone's going to fall asleep. But <laughs> it was some interesting stuff. And like I said, you, you kind of take for granted that kickers are just going to be good at Iowa because we've had a uh, pretty good history of kicking, uh, kicking success over the last uh, – last 20 years. Well, this week is senior day. The seniors will be making their way through Kinnick Stadium for the final time as players with Illinois in town. 11 o'clock kickoff for the Illini. 
Plenty of seats available, 10,000 available at least uh, Tuesday during the press conference. So plenty of good seats. You guys certainly will have some mo- uh, room probably to move around uh, down there in the section and uh, get a good angle to watch this one here. The question is, Illinois, winners of four straight, can they beat Iowa? No, they can't. It's, I think when we talked about Purdue, you asked that same question to me, Trent, and I uh, gave you the same answer. I, I just don't think they can beat Iowa, and that's not arrogance. It's just you look at the numbers. Illinois has been a charmed football team this year. Um, some amazing stats. I mean, they've been outgained by over 1,000 yards in Big Ten play. The only teams they've outgained all year are Akron, UConn, and Rutgers. Uh, they've uh, they forced a lot of turnovers. They had big plays on offense. Uh, you know, they, like I said, they've been charmed. But uh, generally, those are areas that Iowa is pretty good at. We don't turn the ball over a lot. Our defense doesn't give up big plays. Uh, I, I just from a, from just a, Taking a step back and looking at standpoints, I, I don't see any way we don't win this game by, by 10 or more. Yeah, you, you mentioned a couple of things. Illinois has been good at turning people over, both interceptions and forced fumbles, but against Iowa, I don't think that's anything you really worry about very often. They've been terrible this year. They've allowed the most sacks in the Big Ten. It's just, when you look at it maybe from the other side, the Illinois perspective, this is not a good matchup for them. What they do well, the things that are their strengths are not things that Iowa struggles with here. I, I'm right here with you. I would... Could it be tight? Could it be a game where Iowa gets up a couple of scores and then just coasts their way in, especially with a quick turnaround this week in the Black Friday game uh, happening against Nebraska? I could see that. And the point spread of 15.5, I think, is right around that number here. But this is one where I know they've won four straight games. I just I don't have a concern that Iowa's going to lose it. Tight, maybe, but I will find a way. Yeah, and I think also, I think we're a team that uh... – I think we'll come out ready and, and focused on Saturday as well. I mean, I think sometimes when you play teams like Illinois, you know, it's hard to get up and be energized. But uh, the fact that they've won four in a row and the fact that they beat Wisconsin, I don't see any way we won't uh, we won't take them seriously. So, you know, I think we'll come out and be ready to play. And I think this is the game where you know, last week was Tyler Goodson's, uh, you know, semi-coming-out party. I think this week is going to be his true coming-out party. I, I think you see him go over 100 for the first time ever and maybe even close to 150. I just think this is a game where we're going to try to impose our will the next two games. I mean, I think Illinois and Nebraska's defensive lines are both bad. And I think if we're ever going to have a running game, it's the next two weeks. So I think we're going to come out and establish a running game early and often and just kind of impose our will. Goodson early, Goodson often. Get him, uh, yeah, get him that big game. That's another thing Illinois is not very good at is stopping the run. We talked about that against the against Purdue. Purdue Iowa, at least in that game, was about as good as they had been uh, until Minnesota in the first half. So at least some maybe positives happening in that offensive line. Kyler shot back out there. Definitely some big hope there. Seniors are going to go through for the final time. Nate Stanley, certainly the headliner of the class. Anytime you get a three-year starting quarterback, that's going to be the case. But any other seniors you're uh, you're gonna shed a tear for as they're running across the field and beating their parents at midfield? I don't know about shed a tear, <laughs> but uh, both of, both Amani Jones and Devonte Young, I think, are just awesome stories. Yeah. I think they're guys that uh, had every reason to leave this program and, and chose to stay and embrace their roles. And you know, Devonte Young is someone we're going to talk about forever because we're going to go back and when you talk about that Iowa State game and the, and the Recovered punt. 
you're going to remember Devontae Young. You're going to remember he's the guy that recovered the punt. And I think Imani Jones, everybody's always kind of had a soft spot in their heart for him because uh, he just plays so damn hard. And you watch him on special teams, he's the first guy down the field every single time, and he just plays with a, an absolute joy. So, obviously, they didn't get the careers they, they wanted, but the fact that they stuck around and they uh, will be walking through the team today, I think it's pretty awesome. I'm right there with you. Christian Welch, a guy I mentioned a little bit earlier, just uh, that guy made the leap during his senior year, unfortunately had the stinger injury, kept him out a few games, but he has taken that step forward. You know, another guy that took a step forward was Cedric Ladmore. You know, I thought he's played very well at times this season, certainly better than he had at any point. He's made a guy that's uh, been, made a big jump this year. Good group of seniors going out here, but really it's not probably going to be about the seniors playing their last game at Kinnick. It's going to be some of those juniors playing their last game at Kinnick. Yeah, it seems like you almost just let up enough of them worse walk through on senior day. They're, yeah. they're not coming back, mm-hmm. and you know they shouldn't come back either one of them. But uh, yeah, it'd be, be, be kind of cool to have up enough to come out and get, get cheered because man, that, that last week was about as impressive of the performance as you can get from the defensive lineman because mm-hmm. I mean he had the three sacks, but like I said, the other things he did also. I mean. We didn't even rush him on half the plays because he was doing his assignment and doing his job and, and you know stopping that RPO passing game. And so, you know, when he did rush, he was uh, unstoppable. But uh, you know, he was he, such a well-rounded game in general. So yeah, he, he's not a senior, but uh, he might as well be. I'm right there with you. Good stuff there. All right, Biz. Uh, Illinois. Anything else on the Illini before we move forward? I don't think so. No, I think this is. Let's go take care of business. That's uh, not mess around and, you know, make this a two-score game right away and just kind of uh, don't let let them hang around. And, you know, they've gotten lucky in games. And, and, you know, part of that's probably their own. You know, they're they're forcing some some turnovers. Let's not – don't let them hang around because then if we make that one or two mistakes, you never know. On to Iowa basketball. The Cagers pick up a win, 83-68 over North Florida. As a 15-point favorite, that was a push. I was on the Ospreys, so uh, walked away getting the money back on that one. As it came down to the wire, boy, the North Florida had a great look at the end, but, of course, uh, didn't get it talked down there. Luca Garza continues to put up big numbers, and maybe more importantly, he looks like he has a clue on the defensive end, something that hasn't always been the case for the first two years with Luca uh, on that end of the floor. Yeah, I, I... I, I, I was actually impressed with the Hawks last night in general. I thought, uh, you know, North Florida came out and, and played pretty well that first 10 minutes. And, uh, you know, as we've seen in the past, we tend to kind of panic in those kind of games and, and make an ugly game. But I, I thought we, we maintained our composure and we kept pounding underneath the Garza and we uh, we played our game. And so, you know, I've, I've actually been pretty impressed with how we bounced back from that DePaul debacle. I, I thought, uh, you know, uh, is this going to be a great team? Absolutely not. But uh, you know, on the nights when they when they shoot the ball well, they're, they're fun to watch. They 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 share the ball. They they you know seem to genuinely like each other. And at least early on, it seems like we're at least a little better defensively. I mean, I think guys like C.J. Frederick are at least uh, making an effort on the defensive end, mm-hmm. which which uh, you know, and boy, is Joe Joe Toussaint uh, fun to watch. I. I you know, everybody in the world knew he was going to be fast. But I didn't know he was uh, that good of a passer. Well, he made two passes last night yeah. that were uh, absolute beauties. So I, I hope uh, – I'm sure he's going to have his really, really ugly games when we get to Big Ten play. But 
I hope we keep giving him 15 to 20 minutes a game because uh, he is just a different uh, dynamic than what we're used to. Yeah, there's going to be games. He's a freshman. There's going to be games in the Big Ten that he is going to struggle, struggle, but as a really a different kind of dynamic to this team and what he can do running the team. Again, Kreener played, I, th- I thought, pretty well last night. Good to have a guy off the bench like that, a big guy you know can go in there, bring some energy and, and some do some things out there. You mentioned Tucson. Uh, how about McCaffrey? Seven assists in the game, didn't score, but was controlling the game and what he does. He's an excellent passer, too. This team's going to score. One thing on the defensive end I wanted to bring up. So North Florida came in. They had hit, just hit 21 threes against some D3 outfit. I mean, it, not a Simpson outfit like Adam Dahl squad. This was a bad D3 team. But they hit 21 threes. They led the country in three-pointers made coming in. You knew that's what they were going to do. They were going to be out there chucking. And Iowa at least covered them up. Held them to, what, 12 three-point attempts in the first half. Now, they hit six of them, 29 for the game. But when you knew the game plan there, you knew you were going to shoot it. I thought at least some kind of positive there, even if the metrics don't match up with it. Iowa right now, 126 in defensive efficiency in the country. That's probably uh, better than it's been, hasn't it? I mean, 126 is at least middle of the row. How many uh, D- D1 schools are there now? Uh, 351, I believe. Sadly, 126 out of 351 is probably as good as it's going to get for the Hawks. So. Yeah, that's probably about the right range. Last year they finished 111th. 2018 was the awful year. That's when they finished 242nd. 2017, 123. Get in the top 100. There's a realistic goal. Finish in the top 100. Maybe this team can surprise and be a bit better than certainly my expectations are right now. Top 100. Shoot for the stars, Trent. (laughs) That's what we do here. One more game before they make their way to Vegas. It's Cal Poly on deck Sunday afternoon, 4 o'clock. So if you have no interest in watching the Patriots and the Cowboys, get excited. The Mustangs are coming to town. I wish wish those Vegas games would not be on Thanksgiving. I wish if if it had been, you know, the Friday, Saturday or something, I think they'd probably have a few people go out there, but... Who the hell is going to travel to to Vegas on Thanksgiving to watch those games? Oh, I'll tell you. My my parents are going out there. Got some aunts and uncles that are going out there. A lot of family, but apparently I wasn't invited. Maybe they think I have a problem or something. Well, I don't think they think you have a problem, Trent. They know you have a problem. It's a good point. Uh, Texas Tech will be that first game there. How about this? So Ken Palm has all the, uh, basically what the point spread would be, the the tracker of the season. His estimated score for Texas Tech, Iowa. Get, give it a shot. What do you think it would be? Again, obviously neutral floor. What is the projected score for the Red Raiders, the team that played for the national title last year, and Iowa? Projected score, like both teams score, or like spread? Uh, sp- well, just do the spread. How about that? Uh, based on your tone there, I'm guessing it's got to be a lot lower than you're anticipating. So uh, I'll take Texas Tech by five and a half. Four. 75-71 is the projected score in this game. If that oh, point I, spread, I, I, I guessed low, and it was even lower. Trent, so. if, if that point spread comes out at four, whew, whew, mortgage Vegas time. knows, Trent. That, that, that just reeks of the Vegas knows. Oh, and, and they'll know even better as it'll be out there. Then after that, it'll be either San Diego State or Creighton happening on Black Friday. Of course, the Hawks play on Black Friday on football against Nebraska. We'll see if we can sneak in. A uh, little bit of a podcast, maybe sometime early next week. Biz, before we get out of here, though, we have to do our picks, and they have been hideous, both of us, well under the Mendoza line this year. In fact, Biz, he's down $950 on the year. We bet 500 each week. I am down $975. 
hopefully people have been fading our picks this year. That's not pretty true. We took the week off last week. We're both re-energized and ready to go. So I'm I'm locked in, Trent. I decided uh, this week less is more. We've been spreading them out over four or five picks. This week I've only got our game of the week and two others. I'm going to keep it simple and just bet big on the ones I like. I have the exact same thought as you going simple this week. Let's start with the big game of the week. It's the 11 o'clock big nooner on Fox Penn State goes on the road to Ohio State. Huge number here, 18 and a half. I think that says Vegas knows something certainly that we don't know. Still at that number. This game has been close the last three years. Penn State, even Penn State teams that haven't been very good have been able to hang with very talented Ohio State teams. I know the Buckeyes are ridiculous, but I'm going to throw 100 bucks here on the Nittany Lions and grab those uh, 18, 18 and a half points. I've got the same analysis as you, Trent, but the, the opposite decision because mm-hmm. uh, I think you're right. This, this spread is huge. It seems too high, but it just seems like a Vegas knows. And I think what Vegas knows is that K.J. Hamler's not playing. So uh, I think they set this high realizing he, he's not going to play. If he doesn't play, I don't see any way Penn State can, can hang with Ohio State. So uh, 18 and a half seems too high, but I'm going to run with it, Trent. So give me 100 on the Buckeyes. 100 on the Buckeyes, pick number one. Pick number two, I'm going to my beloved American Athletic Conference, Tulane, getting six points at South Florida. The Knights, they're not playing in a major bowl game this year. It has been a disappointment. The other thing is Tulane, a completely different team at home than they are on the road. They lost outright as a favorite last week up in Philly against Temple. I'm going to jump on the green wave this week, grab them, plus six against Central Florida, 200 bucks. Can you explain to me why the green wave don't wear green jerseys? You don't like the baby blue? I like them, actually, but I, I don't do. understand. Yeah. I mean, we were the Osage Green Devils, Trent. We didn't go with blue as our uniform. It was just, uh, well, some people like to wear black, like Mark Mole. Yeah, well, that's fine. At least there's some green in there. But there's not a hint of green in the uniform at all for the Green Wave. So, so you're, you're fading the Green Wave because of that? Oh, no, I just don't understand. Okay. So just an just a, a angry rant for no reason. So, uh, uh-uh. my, first, my first big bet of the week, Trent, uh, is the team we're going to play next week. Uh, I love Nebraska at minus four and a half this week for the simple reason that Nebraska has something to play for and Maryland has absolutely nothing to play for. So Nebraska's coming off a bye, or not coming off a bye, coming off a good game against Wisconsin last week. They put up over 500 yards. Um, I think Frost will uh, go to Maryland and just blow their doors off. I think Maryland is quit on the year. I think Frost will at least be able to pretend that he's, he's turning the corner. So uh, give me the give me the, the Cornhuskers at minus four and a half for two hundred bucks. Two hundred bucks on the Cornhuskers. I like that one. I'll be uh, playing with you certainly on that one this week. All right, I'm going to finish up here. Another two hundred dollar bet. Syracuse played really well last week. I, I looked terrible. I had Duke minus the number there. Can they win them back to back weeks against Louisville? There's been talk about motivation. Louisville now bull eligible. What do they have left to play for? No division title, anything like that in the ACC. I think I can buy into that line of thinking a little bit here. Orange finally getting healthy. This is a preseason top 20 team in Syracuse and finally getting right at the end of the year. They need two more wins to be bowl eligible. They're going to be fighting hard. I'll grab the Orange plus nine at Louisville. My last one, Trent, uh, boiler up. Give me Purdue getting 24 and a half at Wisconsin. Hmm. Uh, I don't think Purdue will win this game, but I think uh, Jeff Brom's teams compete, and, and they generally get better as the year goes on. Um, 
They've had a lot of injuries, but they, they played much better the last few weeks. Um, I think they'll go. They're coming off a bye week. I don't think Wisconsin's all that great of a team. So I, I think Jeff Brom's team will give them a, a legitimate battle for four quarters. I think 24 and a half is too high. So boiler up for 200 bucks. 200 bucks. Those are our picks. I got Penn State plus the number two lane on the plus side, plus six, and Syracuse plus nine. Biz with the Buckeyes, Nebraska, and Purdue going all Big Ten this week with our picks. Take of them what you will. If we were actually betting these at these numbers and the prices we said, we'd be down almost a G, each of us, on the season. Biz, it's that time once again before we leave. It's time for Biz's Beat. Hey, kids, gather around for Biz's Beat of the Day. Okay, here's Biz's Beat of the Day. This week's business beat is a big thank you to Nate Stanley. As we talked about earlier, it's senior day tomorrow at Kinnick, um, and just wanted to say thank you to a, to a uh, an underappreciated and, and absolutely great representative of the University of Iowa. Um, Stanley, over the last three years, has kind of been everybody's favorite whipping boy. Uh, it's easy to be the, the, the target, and, and we all understand Nate's not the perfect quarterback, but he is a good quarterback, and he's been at times a really, really good quarterback. And I think he's had a really good senior year. Not his fault that the interior offensive line disappeared for part of the year. Um, but I think he has really bounced back to have a really, really nice year. He's got a chance to finish with uh, three bowl wins and a double-digit season win season. So. Um, but more importantly, I mean, he's just been an unbelievable representative for the state of Iowa. I mean, he's as classy of a guy as you can get. Never, uh, never blames anyone else. When they, when they win, he, he deflects credit, and when they lose, he uh, takes all the blame. So uh, thanks to Nate, Nate the Great for uh, three really good years. Well said, Biz. He finishes this one up strong, 9-3, and three, a bull victory. would get him to double-digit wins. Never got that division title. That's going to be probably the lingering doubt about him, but – He's had some great performances. The game uh, two years ago at Iowa State, going 3-0 against the Cyclones during his career, going 3-0 against Minnesota throughout his career. And didn't, never got his home steep Badgers, but that he's got a chance of getting three bowl victories, something that is incredibly rare. There's a lot still out there, and, of course, one of the games that will live on forever, what happened in 2017 against Ohio State and the Woodshed, 55-24. That's always going to be a big part of his legacy. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, and last week, you know, again, I think as time goes on, we're going to talk a lot more about last week's win as well. I think the Gophers are a team you reckon with the next couple of years, and, you know, they were a good football team, and he got yet another top ten win. So, you know, nice for him to hopefully, you know, next few games he has a chance to really end his career on a high note, and I think hopefully – change the narrative a little bit because, uh, again, he's been kind of unfairly criticized over the years. He, he certainly hasn't been the perfect quarterback, but he's been an awful good one. With that, Biz, we are out of time. Back at it next week. Short turnaround with Nebraska on the horizon. We'll talk about that matchup and what we see this week with Illinois. Of course, a little deeper look at basketball, too, as they get ready for their trip out to Vegas. Biz, we'll do it again next week. I'm good, Trent. Go Hawks.